Our reading for today is taken from the book of Luke, chapter 5, verse 1 to 11. One day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, with the people crowding around him and listening to the word of God, he saw at the water's edge two boats, left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything, but because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats, so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid from now on. You will catch men. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed him. This is the word of God. If you have your Bibles, if you can keep it open to Luke chapter 5, that would be great as we come to this text. Let's pray that God will speak to us. They pulled their boats up on the shore and left everything and followed him. Lord, we thank you that your words have power to transform our lives in an instant. Um, We thank you um, that you seek to, you, you want to speak to us. And we pray that this morning as we come to you, we come with our listening hearts and listening, our listening minds. And we pray that you will speak to us and you will transform us. In Jesus name we pray. Amen. I wonder how, um, what you think, um, Paul, I mean, uh, Peter was feeling at this, at this time. I could, I could completely understand that Peter was annoyed with Jesus. Here he was fishing all night and morning and Jesus comes and, uh, he gets into his boat and remember he's washing his net, verse two. He's wanting to go home. But Jesus goes into his boat and he commands Peter, could you put it out on the shore a little bit? He wants to use the boat as a floating pulpit. I don't know why Peter obeys Jesus, but he does. Maybe he was impressed by Jesus' following. Maybe he listened to a little bit of Jesus' teaching earlier on and think uh, maybe there's something in this guy. But he, I don't know why he obeyed, but he does. But then the request gets a little bit more complicated, a bit more ridiculous. Verse 4. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. This is the last thing that somebody like Peter would have wanted to hear from Jesus. Peter must have been thinking, what does this rabbi know about fishing? And you can hear it in his voice, verse 5. Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything, but because you say so, I'll let down the net. He thinks that this is foolishness. He's going to obey. He's going to entertain Jesus. But he thinks that nothing is going to come out of this. 
After all, he is a blue-collar fisherman, and Jesus this rabbi, and at most a carpenter. And I'm sure, I'm not once again sure why Peter obeys Jesus, but he does. Just because you say so, he says. And he goes out into the deep water, lets down the net, and you know the results. It's extraordinary. A commentary tells me that an average fishing boat is about 20 to 30, uh, average fishing boat in the Lake of um, Galilee is 20 to 30 feet long. I think we have a picture of uh, uh, that 20 feet, uh, 20 to 30 feet. This is not a small boat. And they caught, verse 6, such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their, their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. Nets began to break and the boats began to sink. Peter recognizes that this is a special moment, that he's being revealed something that he didn't see before. Before, Jesus was just a rabbi, somebody that he sort of entertained, somebody that he was willing to go a little bit um, to entertain. But now, Simon, verse 8, fell at Jesus' feet. And he says, go away from me, Lord, for I'm I'm a sinful man. He bows before Jesus. He calls Jesus Lord. And we know that he became afraid because Jesus says, don't be afraid, later on in verse 10. He doesn't fully understand who Jesus is, but he's beginning to understand that Jesus is, represents the divinity, uh, that represents God in some ways. He's beginning to understand that Jesus has, Jesus is not who he thought he was. And he was terrified. Of course, this is, once again, exactly what happens when people meet God. Most people think that it will be nice and warm and fuzzy um, in, to be in the presence of God. God, come to us, we say, because we just think that this will be a nice moment. But when you actually search the Bible, that is not a nice moment. It's a terrifying moment. People who encounter God are afraid. Isaiah was afraid when he first meets God. Woe is me, for I am, ru- I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among the people of unclean lips, Isaiah 6.5. And angels are continually telling people not to be afraid because people are afraid. They fall and they cry out. They feel afraid that they might die even. They might be consumed by the holiness of God because they are so sinful that they might be found out. Their sinfulness might be found out. And there is a whole lot of, I mean, I think there is a whole sermon there. But point is that Simon begins to realize that Jesus is more than a rabbi. Jesus is not a person who just teaches about morality. Jesus knows something about, obviously, morality. Uh, Jesus knows something about fishing. That Jesus knows something about Peter. Uh, Simon, Peter begins to understand that there is something about Jesus that he might even have come on that boat on purpose. So he obeys. And as he's gotten to know Jesus more and more, the way that he obeys gets more and more radical. Faith in Christ moves people to obey. When Jesus says, don't be afraid, from now on you will fish for people. This is their response. Peter and, uh, Peter and his friends in verse 11, they pulled their boats on the shore, and they left everything and followed him. They were willing to change their lives completely because they met. They just met Jesus. Once again, um, I do want to ask this question: um, What do you think of Jesus? Because that really is the foundation for everything. 
Because what you think of Jesus is directly related to how much you're willing to obey, what you're willing to do. If you, are, if you think that Jesus is just a moral teacher, a good man, um, you might be okay uh, coming here on Sundays, taking that time out to learn from this. Because, well, Christ seems like a nice man. Christians seem, to, uh, seem like ni- nice people. If you think that Jesus is a prophet or a special person, that you might be able to uh, give Christianity a chance, give 10% of uh, what you earn, turn the other cheek, pray and read the Bible and all of that, because you think that this is, there's something to it. But if you think like that, you haven't yet met Jesus. Jesus is somebody who is, in some sense, terrifying, because he is God himself. He is somebody who, if we really knew him, would not just change bits of our life, parts of our life, but someone who would reorient our life completely, transform our life completely. We would want to leave everything to follow Jesus because we knew we would know that that is the better way. That is the better way. So what do you think of Jesus? Do you, do you really believe that Jesus is the Son of God? And as we talked about last week, um, Jesus demands nothing less uh, than the totality of our life. Faith has a cost. Following Jesus has cost because Jesus demands everything from us. You might be asking, why, does the disciple, why do Peter and others leave everything to follow Jesus? If we read the rest of the Bible, we know that Jesus demands everything from us. And could we take a moment to think about what Peter and his friends left? They just had the greatest catch of their lives. Two boats almost sank to the bottom. The nets were at the brink of breaking. And when they left, they left all that fish on the shore. We talked about money last week. And how money seems to be at the bottom line of everything that we talk about. Well, these fishermen who fish for, who, who sold fish for a living, they left all that fish, the greatest uh, catch of their lives, on the shore to follow Jesus. And it's not just the, the money. It's not just the fish. It's the way that they made their money. They left their boats. They left their nets. They left their baits and whatever they had on the boat to follow Jesus. They're embarking on this new career as fishers of people, fishers of men, without a sound economic plan, simply because Jesus said, come and follow me. That was the command, and that made sense to them because they just saw Jesus at work. They just saw that Jesus was the Son of God, and they're becoming aware of this. And if you think that they're not aware of what they left, I think people, disciples are keenly aware because they go all, also go through ups and downs. Um, later in Jesus' ministry, when Jesus talks to the rich young man and challenges him to leave everything, leave all the money that he has to follow Jesus, and he can't, and do you remember what Peter says? Peter proudly says in Luke 18.26, we have left all we had to follow you. He knows. He's left everything to follow Jesus. He went all in in, on Jesus. And that's what Christ demands from us. Um, We're having a little bit of a 
baptism class um, on Saturday, and this is what we talked about, the cost of discipleship. Jesus says in Luke 14.33, in the same way, any of you who does not give up everything, he, everything, he cannot be my disciple. Jesus demands everything. He doesn't want half-hearted Christians. He doesn't want Christians who give up 80% of their lives. The cost of following Jesus is 100% everything. C.T. Stubbs uh, was a wealthy and a successful um, young Englishman. Uh, he was educated at Eton College and, and Cambridge University. He was a captain of the, uh, the, his university cricket team, and he became really well-known. He became one of the first celebrities in England because of his, uh, he was known as the most talented cricket player uh, at, at, at that time. But when he experienced a spiritual revival, he then gave up 90% of his inheritance for mission. 90%. The remaining 10% he gave to his wife as a wedding gift. And then she took it and gave it away for mission. And they together became missionaries with the other Cambridge 7 missionaries in China. And after 10 years, they had to return back home because their health started to fail. And after a few years later, then they went back, they, they went now this time to India. After six years in India, they had to come back once again because of poor health. And you think that they might just have had enough. But that wasn't the end of their missionary career. A few years later, he then left uh, for Congo and spent 18 years there. The biography of him by Norman Grubbs has a photo of his boyhood home of this big mansion where he grew up. And then next to it, a small hut where he, uh, with the, uh, with the rush, uh, uh, roofing in Congo. Some people, really, this is a, a call. They literally leave everything to follow Jesus. And we're thankful, actually, that there are many uh, people like that here in our congregation. There are missionaries here working amongst us who have left everything to follow Jesus. They're around you. But more often, leaving everything means, uh, doesn't mean change of profession, but change in the goal and the, uh, how we work. It does mean that uh, who, we who lived for selfish gains, we who lived for the things of this world, reorient our lives to work for Jesus. No longer do we work for money, reputation, status, our master, our boss, becomes Jesus. That's who we work for, no matter where you are. And by the way, I think one of the applications of the, of the fact that we now work for Jesus in Hong Kong, I think, you know, we talk about excellence of our work a lot uh, in Christian circles and how we must work hard for Jesus. And that's true. You have to do your job, and, and God has called you into your workplaces. But could I say... If you give your work to, your, to, to Christ, if Jesus becomes your boss, I think it also means that you might work less, not more in Hong Kong. It means that you take time for breaks because you know that Jesus actually wants you to rest. Jesus wants you to say, your work is not your idol. Your work is not who you worship. You can go home at the end of the day. You can take a Sabbath rest because your boss is Jesus. And, you know, that might actually affect your reputation at work. And people might say, you might get passed up uh, for promotion in your workplace because they think, oh, you're not all in in your workplace. Well, that might be the case, but that, that's just what it means to follow Jesus. If we're saying that work is Christ and we work for Christ in our workplace, this means that you might be able to go home. You can say, you know, th- 
this is what he wants me to do. Give your work to Christ. Giving up everything to follow Christ also means that we consider everything that we have. We have um, not belonging to us, no longer belongs to us, but it belongs to Christ. Our time is Christ. I know that our time is precious in Hong Kong, but our time is not yours. It is Christ. Our money is Christ, as we've talked about last week. Our energy, once again, I know that energy is a tough thing to give in Hong Kong. Our energy is Christ's. It means using our, our, all of our talents and gifts that God has given you, the passions that God has given you, the training that God has given you, the opportunities that God has given you, all that belongs to Christ. And what would that mean? Then how would your life change if you, had, if you considered all that you had belonging to Christ and not yours? If you no longer consider that yours but Christ, how would you change I think most of us are willing to give up many things, maybe even most things, but not all things. Peter left everything to follow Christ. And let me ask, what have you kept for yourself? What do you find difficult to give to Christ? What, what do you find difficult to leave behind for Christ? Elizabeth Elliot um, wrote in her book, Path of Loneliness, tells the story of a, a king who goes out into the village street. This king um, sees a beggar begging on the street. And this beggar is excited. He just met this king. And he's sure that the king is going to give uh, him something. But the king comes and he asks, can you give me something? And he's a little bit um, dumbfounded. He doesn't know what to do. He doesn't have that much. And he takes a little bit, uh, three grains of rice from his bowl. And then he gives it to uh, the, the king. And then later on, the king then returns back with small three grains of gold, three pieces of gold. And he thinks to himself, oh, what, what, what would have happened if I had given everything to the king? It is like that with us. We are clutching a few things. We're, we're, maybe it's our children. We want our children to uh, be this certain kind of people, uh, do this job, be this kind of people, and we haven't given them to Christ. Um, maybe we're clutching to our ambition. We're saying, you know, I, I'm willing to go to church, uh, a prayer meeting or whatever, but only it doesn't affect my, my productivity at work. We might, be, uh, we might not be willing to uh, be single for Christ. And I, I, we were talking about, once again, cost of discipleship. And I think, mathematically speaking, there are more men um, than uh, women in the church. Mathematically speaking, if we're obeying the call of Christ, some, peop- some women here will be single. Whatever it is, we have something behind our back. And we don't want to give to Christ. Christ demands all of our life. Peter left everything and followed him. What is it that we need to give to Jesus? I think this is one of the reasons why um, Peter wants Jesus to go away. He's sinful. He doesn't want to change, right? Peter says, go away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. And could you um, imagine what would have happened? What would have happened if Jesus just left him? To left him in a sinful state. But that's not what he does. 
He doesn't leave Simon. Instead, he draws closer to him, nearer to him. He says, don't be afraid. Now you will fish for people, verse 10. He calls Peter and these fishermen to be apostles of Christ, people who would carry the good news of the gospel to the ends of the earth, people who will be evangelists, people who will make disciples of all nations. And why the fishing metaphor? And part of the reason must be that they're fishermen. And he's saying now that you will fish for people. That may be, and, uh, but also maybe, as a commentator points out, that it's an appropriate metaphor for evangelism and discipleship making. After all, catching fish is not automatic. You can work all night and all day and have nothing to show for. And I know missionaries like that. Missionaries in Japan work all their life and have a handful of uh, things to show for it. Evangelism is hard. Disciple making, ship, ma- making is hard. Also, prep, much preparation is required for evangelism. A lot of things need to happen for somebody to come to Christ. And also, requires, fishing requires teamwork. Evangelism, disciple-making requires teamwork. This commentator writes, it's no accident that our Lord chose the metaphor to describe this task. I think um, it's right, a, a right metaphor for another reason. The fishermen catch the fish, and actually, fish die. And that, too, is what happens with us, with evangelism. When people become Christians, they're called to die. As Bonhoeffer puts it, when Christ calls a man, he bids him to come and die. Christ calls us to put our life to death, that we may receive a new life, a different life, a better life. Christ calls us to share in his death so that we can share in his resurrection So this is a serious call. It's a serious call, and it's not given to just a few handful of people. It is given to all Christians. All Christians are to be evangelists. All Christians are to be disciple makers. Remember the command in Matthew 28, the Great Commission. All authority of heaven and earth has been given to me. Go and make disciples of all nations. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to obey everything that I've, um, I've, to- I've told you. I will be with you always. That's for all the disciples, all of us, given to the church. So let me ask, once again, I think I need no, uh, um, to challenge you in, um, in not any creative way, but just to say, just to say, Have we answered that call for evangelism? When was the last time that you've shared the gospel with somebody near you? Is that something that we're working towards? I recently talked to a person um, who works closely uh, with uh, Christians in North Korea. And he told me that when um, Westerners ask North Koreans, what can we pray for, for you? they kind of are um, puzzled. And they kind of think, oh, okay. Because they think, you see, their faith is real. Their faith is tested. They literally have to risk everything to follow Jesus. But when they see us, they see Christians who have been compromised. Christians who are not that different from other people in our culture. Christians who have become part of the culture. So this person asked me, 
We're often willing to smuggle Bibles into um, places like this. But his question to me was, you know, but what, uh, uh, when was the last time you gave a Bible to somebody nearby? We say that we're willing to go far um, to carry the good news of Jesus. But when was the last time we told our neighbor about Jesus? In Hong Kong. So let me challenge us here. Are we doing evangelism? If we're willing to leave everything behind, are we willing to leave behind our reputation, our pride, our self-awareness? Can we be a little bit of a fool? And it's okay for people to think that we're a little bit fool for, uh, a bit of a fool for Christ. Are we, able, are we willing to leave some of that behind to follow Christ? And if our time is Christ, can we make time for evangelism? Can we make time for discipleship? As we recognize, as Peter recognized more and more of Christ, his obedience grew. He counted the cost. He left everything to follow him. And he became an apostle. He became a follower, disciple, disciple of Christ. But actually, Peter didn't do all of that. There was a limit. So now, if you, ever, if you have your Bibles with you, now, could you turn to John 21? John 21. It's the last chapter in John, last chapter of the, of the Gospels. And there you will find another story that's almost exactly like Luke's story. Jesus and the miraculous catch of the fish. So the first catching of the fish happened in the beginning of Jesus' ministry and Peter's ministry. This happens at the end of Jesus' ministry, right before he leaves in John and it's almost as if there was a reset button. Um, it's the same story. They're fishing. The disciples are fishing. The, uh, they didn't catch anything. Jesus asks them then to throw their net on the other side of the boat. And in this story in John, they also catch a, 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 a net full of fish. But Simon's reaction here is different. Instead of saying... Go away from me, Lord, for I'm a sinful man. Peter jumps into the water. He sees Jesus on the shore, and he starts swimming towards, uh, towards Jesus. And then they have this conversation, and where Peter is reinstated as an apostle. And Jesus, again, in John, uh, challenges Peter. This is tw- John twenty-one twenty. He says, come and follow me. Follow me. It's the same command before in Luke 5. Follow me. You see, this, was, this is what happened. Peter thought that he, had, he, had, he knew who Jesus was. Peter thought that he left everything to follow him. But there was a limit. We find out that he had a limit. He denies Jesus three times. He's not willing to sacrifice his life. He feared for his life. He couldn't follow Jesus to the cross, all the way to the, to the cross. He couldn't. But after the resurrection... Something changes. He sees Jesus as a risen Lord. Somebody who is not over just a Lord of his life, but Lord of life itself. Somebody who could give life to all people. He sees Jesus and he sees uh, the hope, new, the hope of the, uh, the, the new creation. He knows that there is a new world to come. And he's filled with the Holy Spirit. Before in John chapter 20, Jesus breathes his spirit uh, upon his disciples. He's different. He finally sees that Jesus is the Lord. And so um, at the end of that chapter, uh, um, 
Jesus is, uh, predicts Peter's death on the cross, and we know that Jesus, uh, we know that Peter dies. Peter obeys Christ. Peter follows uh, Christ all the way to the cross. And I want to say that that is where we are in this story. The gospel ends with all of us in there. And we know who Jesus is. We know that Jesus is the risen Lord. We know that there is a new creation coming. We have the Holy Spirit. We have been marked with the Holy Spirit when we turn to Christ. And so like Peter, we can and we must leave everything to follow Jesus and become fishers of people. Let's pray. Lord, we want to become your disciples. We want to follow you. We want to give everything to you. But Lord, we, uh, in order for that to happen, uh, we, we need you to um, breathe the power of your spirit upon us. We need the spirit to point us to who you are, who Jesus is, that he is the Lord over our life. We need to be fully convinced that you are the giver of life. Lord, empower us to grasp that truth, that we may live according to that truth. And we also pray that we, too, will become disciple-makers, that we would go to our friends, to our neighbors, and to our colleagues, to our family, and tell them about the good news of Jesus, that people around us may come to share in this good news. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.